We see some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good-looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got Welcome everybody, Spit, and it is a new Spit cast, a Spit podcast, if you will. David Lee Scales and Scott Bass with you here on this Monday, October 16th in Southern California, a warm and dry Santa Ana condition uh, in the forecast today. Welcome, David. Good morning. Scott, long time no see, dude. It's been a month. It's been one month. Yes. We owe our listeners an apology. We sort of do. This is ridiculous. Yes. Um, I'm actually super excited to be here, though, man. I feel a little bit like, uh, I don't know, tons to catch up on. There's Glad to see you. Yeah. Um, also, like, uh, this environment that we're in, it's just so cozy and comfortable. <laughs> I feel like, uh, do we want to paint the scene there for the listeners? Be, be, there won't be any fist fights or there won't be any... Epic spit battles going down. It could be intense, actually, because you, you it's so confined. I'm, I'm soft. No, no, no. But I'm, this, do you want to paint the scene? Yeah, we are. Uh, it's eight in the morning on a Monday, and we're parked in my truck in front of the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center, where inside normally we, we record this show. But uh, so early, we're, we're such go-getters that the shack is not open for business yet. And we sit here together in a truck. Totally. A Ford F-150, a 2016. It's gray. We have black interior leather seats. Pretty plush. Relatively comfortable. Very comfortable, I'd say. But of course, our energy levels are just frothing, and we're not about to stem those just so that Shaq can open and then we can go in and use their studio. We're just going to get after it right now. Exactly. Um, so a couple of things to catch up on, Scott. Sure. Uh, well, a lot of things to catch up on. I've got emails. One of them came through, and he's like, dude... Can you get Scott to give me a clean yeah guy? Because I want to have it as the ringer for my phone whenever I get a text message. So I went through past episodes and I pulled a few, but none of them were super clean. So let's do it. For our listener right now, he wants a clean one. Imagine his girlfriend is text messaging him right now. What do you want it to sound like? Yeah, guy. What's up, guy? Yeah, guy. Here's a couple takes. I'll do a couple takes. Okay. Yeah, guy. Yeah, guy. What if you're angry and upset and somebody's like, there's an affront, what would you say to them? What's up, guy? There you go. Yeah, guy. (laughs) There you go. See, working for the listeners, whatever you want, we will get it for you. (laughs) We'll make it happen. You know, we've mentioned it before. The whole term, yeah, guy, dates back for me back to the 80s when we were in high school. That was sort of the Mm -hmm. the, uh, teenage... Uh, how would you say when you say hello? Salutation. Thank you. What a great word. Salutation. But Yeah, guy. What's up, guy? But we've also, over the years, we've gotten a few emails about it, and it seems like it popped up organically in other places in the world as well. We like to think that we did it. We did do it. You did it. You, <laughs> guys, did it. you guys did it by yourself, but simultaneously in New Zealand, there was another high school also using the same thing. Really? You know? That's well, random. I think that's what somebody said at some point. They're like, oh, I, when you started saying it on the air, it reminded me when I was a kid, you know, that we used to hear this as well, or we used to say this you know, as well. You know, we we used to have Sonny Miller in quite often as a guest. He was great. He would stop. When he was in town, he liked to stop into the studio and, and be a guest on the show. And Sonny was 
was really at the sort of the forefront of the beginnings of the yeah guy salutation. Oh, was which, he really? Which in my mind stems from Todd Martin and the Seaside parking lot and Encinitas and Stone Steps and that whole region there. For whatever reason, and I could be wrong, maybe it stems back further, but that's that's where you know Sonny was really ground zero. Sonny Miller was really ground zero of the whole yeah guy. Warshaw needs to add that to his encyclopedia of surfing entry for Sonny because that might be one of his most um, <laughs> most stellar accomplishments. <laughs> um, you know what else? He was a stellar photographer. You know what else I was going to say? Um, yeah. We're four minutes in now, but yeah. it's so awkward setting up the mics and not talking at all. I don't know if listeners are aware of that, mm. but like you and I have a pact that we want every discussion to be on air. Yes. And so when we show up, it's like, I want to ask you how France was, how the drive was up here, all that stuff. But I can't. And then there's like seven minutes of setting up the mics, doing all the tech stuff of dead silence. It's so, does it ever get easier? Does it ever get not awkward? I don't, I don't feel awkwardness probably because I'm in a bit of a morning haze. I might need a cup of coffee, Okay. but, um, I'm just, Raring to go here. I don't, I don't okay. sense awkwardness. Oh, okay. Um, See, I have a hard time not asking you all those questions. Well, um, France was fabulous. So listeners may or may not know, but I went to France on a fact-finding mission, some reconnaissance, if you will, in hopes of um, producing and creating a boardroom show in France next year around this time in early October during the Quicksilver Pro in France. It would be a European boardroom show for the European surfboard manufacturing industry. So it's no longer just a French boardroom show? No, it's no, it cannot be. opened up all the... It has to be Europe, I all agree. of Europe, or it won't work. I agree. And so um, the European boardroom with Spain and Portugal and the UK and France and Germany and, um, uh, you know, other regions. Awesome. How did the fact-finding trip go? It went great. Um, all... Uh, Everything leads to me pr- producing a show there. There okay. are some big hurdles. The biggest one, the language. The language <laughs> barrier is a lot larger than I anticipated. I'm going to, for this to be a success. I need boots on the ground there that will help yeah. me move this thing through. And I do believe I've found boots on the ground that are well, well, very well connected. Like I couldn't find better boots on the ground. It's just, can I convince them to be a part of this? We're yet to see. And then. Marketing the show is interesting because I have language barriers there, right? I have to market it to Portugal, to Spain, to the UK, to Germany, to France, to Switzerland, to other regions. Which And all of these have different media distribution outlets. France has its website. Germany has its surf site. England has its, you know, they all have their own. It's not like here where it's like Surfline covers everything, yeah, you know? totally. Um, so that means a lot of translation, there's there's a lot of hurdles, yeah. You know, and but I think it's an important play. I think the surf industry there wants it. That's my feeling after exploring it and meeting mm-hmm. with people. I met with the people at Euroglass, which is which is Belly's thing there, Quicksilver Surfboards. I met with the Rip Curl guy. I met with, um, of course, the city of Biarritz, which has a fabulous venue. Um, and I met with the guy at Shaper House, Julian. I met with some insiders there that know the industry, and and I got some real good, honest feedback about it. And look, it's going to be a roll of the dice, and I'm going to need help, but I think we can do it. But I haven't yet given it the green light. I have to come through everything, and I also have to get sign-off from people over there that can help me with it. But I would assume all those people you met with 
want you to be there though right yeah i frankly i went into it going you know what as soon as i get a stop sign i'm not going to move forward it's not going to take much for me to go this is a bad idea right and everything was hey you know what i think this is a good idea if you do it you know like i got a bunch of insight you know the biggest insight i got was you're not going to be able to do it without somebody there that speaks french that can help move this thing through while you're over here in the united states and i think i have found that person okay so we'll see Cool. I mean, I've long thought, I mean, maybe I've even expressed it to you, um, that the boardroom show would have application all over the world, you know, like East Coast, Europe, everywhere. Um, obviously, all the moving parts between it running there, you know, what it is now. Hey, there's to- Cindy <laughs> from Shaq. She's going to open the door. Good morning. Good morning. All of the moving parts, you know are what you would have the hurdles that you'd have to overcome but i think that once it's actually up and running like it definitely has application everywhere in the world yeah you it's know, a fantastic um, event and concept and all that sort of stuff and i think the market wants it yeah for sure you know i and i think japan is one that's totally. really japan's really on my radar so if there's people that can give me insight into the japanese market i'm i'm wide open for insight into that could you imagine though like 10 years from now let's say or whatever the timeline is boardroom shows every quarter somewhere else in the world well that would be great you know the 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 underwriting principle here though is i only want to do it if the industry wants it to happen in that region you know what i mean like i'm here to help them it shouldn't be the other way around it shouldn't be you know they're here to help me i want to help them and and i i think i can do that and so um that's why I said as soon as I got – if I was to get any inkling that they didn't want a boardroom show, I'm cool with that. Yeah. I, you know, maybe it wasn't the right thing. I don't want to put a square peg in a round hole. But I think that Japan and I think Europe both need that. And I think in part the, the United States marketplace, the manufacturing base here, will benefit from that as well. Totally. You know, it's, it's kind of like let's grow the pond, the old Bob McKnight SEMA speech, you know. But I do think, I mean, at the boardroom show that we do here, in, or that you do here in Southern California, people come from Japan. People come from all over the world to attend this, yes. which I think is an indicator. Exactly. You know? I would agree with that. Um, what's this uh, gift that we have up here on your dashboard? Um, let's get to that. I will. Let me finish my France spiel, oh, if I yeah, will. Yeah, I got please. really good waves. I surfed. Um, I had some funny encounters with French people. I don't speak the language. I know je ne parle pas français, parlez-vous anglais, which is I don't speak, do you speak? Yeah. And um, I know another one like uh, je ne sais pas, which is I don't know. And that's about the length of my French language Those are good knowledge. ones to know, though. Yeah, but they weren't really because I was, I was like one time I was at the grocery store. And I was just buying groceries, and internally I'm going, please don't speak to me in French, please mm-hmm. don't speak to me in French. And the cashier lady, like, said something to me, and I was, like, really, like, sort of humbled, and I was like, je ne parle pas français, I'm sorry, je désolé, parlez-vous anglais, you know, what I was just, and of course, my California accent is just overwhelming. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize, like, people just look, so this girl at the cash register looked at me, and literally she goes, she goes, like she had this exclamation of disgust that had me just cowering and this 22 year old girl's like berating me with her suspire and people behind me in line are like putting their hands on their hips and shaking their head at me as if i'm like a member of isis or something (laughs) like I, i could not believe like the level of disgust at me for just trying to say hey i'm sorry i don't speak french amazing and 
and that maybe, wasn't the first time like that the for whatever reason culturally i think it must be they like to kind of look down on me or on us yeah. on, on north americans there was a because afterwards they were sort of friendly like once they made fun of you and right. like put you in your place they were sort of like okay here you know one time i went to a place to get a sandwich and the young girl at the thing and i went you know i'm sorry you know je, je, you know je dois aller. Je ne parle pas. I did my best right to speak french which i'm told you need to do you know pardon yeah. me and she goes, oh, American. Like, I'm not kidding you with the level of exclamation that I'm giving you. She would. She goes, oh, an American. We speak English then. And, like, all the little old ladies behind me were, like, immediately disgusted with me. And, and the lady behind the counter would look at the little old ladies and they would laugh together as she spoke English to me. Yeah. It was, like, over the top where... I was embarrassed to go out, yeah. and I was sort of... I just didn't want to be shamed anymore, totally. so I ended up eating a lot of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches in my hotel room instead of... It's so funny, dude. Yeah, and I'm sort of... You know, I mean, I want to be liked, so to to, to not be liked is... It's is, so funny. I felt the same way, and what I've realized is not knowing other languages has actually inhibited my enjoyment of travel. For that reason, I feel anxiety. I'm yes. anxious to go out to a restaurant yes. because I don't want to interact with the waiter and whatever. So the only solution to that is learn the languages. I agree. And I will tell you, as you know, like you and I can get by in, in Spanish-speaking languages because we know just enough gringo Spanish to pull it off. And I enjoy the language. And the people there are more, I sense anyway, that the people, for instance, in Mexico are way more like, hey, no problem. Let's let's point and figure yeah. out what we're saying to each other. Sure. Whereas in France, France, it was way more like I didn't sense anyone wanted to help. Yeah. I, you know what I mean? Totally. Like, I'm totally comfortable in Mexico or in Spain, and I don't speak Spanish, but right. I know enough to get by. Yeah. And I know enough to be kind and considerate, and I try to speak Spanish, and it helps. And yeah. it, I, but in France, I was a little, whoa, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, I say it. Like, oh, just learn the languages and then we can improve. But obviously, it's a huge undertaking. Yes. Um, my 2016 re New Year's resolution was to learn Spanish. Yeah. Um, and How's then it was going? also That's my 2017 resolution as well. It became. Habla Espanol? No. Habla Espanol? I did super strong at the beginning of the year, as you do with New Year's resolutions. Uh, what I will say for the listeners and for yourself is the best language learning tool I've ever seen and maybe the best learning tool period not just for language is called Duolingo have you seen this are you no, familiar with it app? it's an app it's yeah. a website it's entirely free it's um for like a hundred last time I checked it was like 147 different languages yeah um the guy who invented it is like this unbelievably prolific um amazing guy and who like struggled with language. He, I think he was raised in, born in Guatemala and had like this huge language barrier to getting, getting an education and all that. And then he went on into the tech world to make a killing. And so part of his giving back is I want to, you know, make language education available for everyone and language is the barrier. So this, this learning tool, Duolingo, it's almost like a video game that you play. Mm. 
Um, but it's actually entertaining. You do it 10 minutes a day. The idea is consistency. So 10 minutes every day, not wait till the end of the week and then do an hour. Right. You know, uh, but it makes it super easy, super fun. It's not only from English to other languages, it's other languages to English. Yeah. And a lot of kind of, um, not widely spoken languages like Gaelic is on there. Wow. You know? Um, Are you going to learn Gaelic? No, I'm not. I'm sticking <laughs> with Spanish first, but France would, French would be number two. Yeah. But one interesting detail when I heard that guy interviewed was he said there's more Chinese people learning English than there are English speakers in America. Wow. If you can believe that's, that. That's a fascinating statistic. So if you want to look at like where the job market's going in the future and all that sort of stuff, like China is it. And so maybe you want to consider learning Mandarin or whatever, yeah, you know. I know that's that one seems like a really hard one to overcome for whatever reason. Spanish just seems so welcoming as one to try to attack and learn. It, and for you and I, it's applicable because yeah. there's a lot of Spanish-speaking countries that you and I want to travel in for surfing and whatnot. Yeah, and yeah, the the Latin-based language has a lot of kind of overlap. Um, whereas, of course, Mandarin's entirely different. Now, speaking of technology, I had this discussion. Do you think it would be appropriate? Are we going to get to the place where we don't need to learn languages? Technology is going to be at such a, a place that I can go, hey, I'm going to China. I got the new app. All mm-hmm. I got to do is you know, talk to the app, and the app talks to the person, and you hand... It's not even that. I saw this... I didn't. I saw the article. I didn't actually open it up and read it, but it's an earpiece that you put in that translates in real time. So the person speaking to you, your earpiece converts it, translates it into English in your ear. And that exists now. Yeah. And so my question was one of ethics, really. Is that okay? Not okay, but don't you think that there are cultural uh, idiosyncrasies and nuance that you'll never get with technology? Like you'll never understand... You know, like gringo Spanish is, you know, you know what I mean? Just the way they speak in, say, yeah. uh, Tijuana versus somewhere in Oaxaca. Absolutely. But do you think you and I as humans have the ability to decipher that? The reality is we don't. We get it wrong all the time. No, but I'm, what I'm saying is if you learn the language to, to have it in your brain, you you inherently learn these little cultural nuances. Whereas if you just go, no need to learn it, I've got the little earbud that's going to help me. You sure you do communicate effectively, but you never really get to know the culture and the space the way you would if, yeah, I totally agree. It's a not as rich of an experience, but I think that there's there's miscommunication, even with you and I speaking English together. You know what I mean? That, with a smart enough programmer, they'll be able to program probably more effectively than humans can even uh, try to uh, translate what the other human being is saying. I guess with the earpiece, too, are you going to have to constantly say, hey, could you please speak slower so my earpiece can pick up what you're saying? Because, I mean, you know, like right now, you and I talking the way we're talking right now, like at this yeah. pace, would blow away somebody that was trying to understand what we were saying and just learning English for the first time. They'd be like, dude, slow down. I can't. Smart enough programming will actually pick up faster pace than you and I can, I would think. Yeah, that's the hope, right? Yeah. Um, So anyways, you got good waves. Yeah, I got, oh man, I got some good waves. I'm telling you, you know, you hear about the French beach breaks, and we all just saw it yesterday and the day before with the event, right? Mm -hmm. And, oh man, mind-blowing beach breaks, super good, super powerful, super legit, like, and and just so much of it. So there's this, like, never-ending 35 miles of 
killer beach break, you know. Do you travel with boards? You bring boards with you? No, I borrowed a board. I wrote a super brand that um, Justin Cote had given to my friend Brian, who works for Surfers Village over there, and he was kind enough to lend me a board. Brian Dickerson. So I rode just like a five eleven. What? Yeah, it was pretty wide. It was a pretty wide board. Five eleven shortboard, and you were surfing like you said eight foot beach breaks. Yeah, but I'm, you know, yeah. Wow. I mean. You and John, John, dude. No, I, yeah, I mean, I would have liked to have had a six six, you know, yeah. just because I'm. But you know, the waves were legit, but they're and they're super clean. And, yeah. Well, let me. Um, this doesn't need to segue into the Quicksilver Pro, yeah. but when I watch that event, the waves look, of course, flawless and amazing. But Matt Biolis posted an Instagram post going, "Hey, I watched it for five hours, and while it looks incredible, and these guys make it look super easy, make no mistake, it's." treacherous out there there's so much water moving they would not be able to do what they're doing without the jet ski assist what was your experience yeah there's there's no doubt about that and each spot's a little different and what's what's interesting there is that when it's big the way it was a lot of guys just surf the inside bar oh, okay and, and in france it breaks on it depends on the tide but in france it breaks outside and then reforms and comes into the inside as a four to eight foot wave you know depending double on, up yeah and it and it's mean and and vicious and just like super shallow so a lot of guys do that and and the, and also you just eventually find a, a bar that's a little smaller that that brings in the swell a little bit differently you know and so it's kind of like how much do you want to chew off but matt's right i mean it's it's pretty like when it's eight to ten feet there's a lot like I, you know you you'd be wise to be riding a seven footer because mm-hmm. you're just pulling into the barrel anyway mm-hmm. you know were you so. rolling in from the outside or? No, no. I was where I was surfing when it was six to eight feet. There was 12 foot outside set waves breaking and then going into a hole. And that swell rolls through the hole and reforms as a six footer yeah. on the inside. Legit mean like Puerto Escondido style. Yeah. 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 Sweet, dude. Do you eat well? No, I kind of, I mean, I had three legitimate French meals, but I mostly holed up in my little cubbyhole hotel room and ate peanut butter and jelly sandwiches yeah. <laughs> and i was but i did have you know three or four meals where i had like foie gras which yeah. i've never had before oh really yeah it was okay you know and i had like duck a lot you know smoked duck which is okay you know and i think i had a veal cutlet once and um but i was i wasn't there to eat nor yeah. was i there to surf i was frankly i was quite busy yeah, with yeah. meetings and and the culture of there you know like the earliest meeting I can get is 10 a.m. Yeah. All meetings are two hours. It's just they're not as fast-paced <laughs> totally. as we are. Yeah. From noon to three, they're sleeping or yeah. doing something. I don't know what. <laughs> yeah. And I'm jumping at the bit to have a meeting. And from three to five is my next meeting. And then it's over. Two a day. There's two meetings a day, yeah. basically. And if you're lucky, you can get a lunch meeting with somebody. Foie gras and duck are two of my favorite things, man. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, your, your palate is much more refined I just mine. love fatty French rich foods is all. Well, you might enjoy this okay. package. So this package just... Do I, you want to move I, inside or... Let's open this and then go inside okay. so I don't have to carry this with me. Right. This package was shipped to you, or I mean it has my name on it, but care of you. We got gifts. Um, from Panama. Panama. All the way from Panama. That's right. The Republic of Panama. So this is from a listener you said? Yeah, this is from a longtime listener. All right, it's a it's various things. The first of which that I see is a map for the Panama Canal. 
Panama chocolate bar Diablo. Yes. Amazing. Um, and Panamanian coffee? That's correct. What? Yes. Yeah, so David Two got chocolate bars. Two different chocolates. Two. Some coffee and some why insight is, from the Chamber of Commerce. There. Why did he send this? He's just a longtime listener, and he, I think he heard us talking about our love affair with dark chocolate at some point. Absolutely. Love and, affair with coffee, too. And look at those things. What the heck? Those are, those are like dude? 100% cocoa balls. Cacao. <laughs> cacao, yeah. 100% organic cacao. Yes. I don't even know. Do you just like I, shave some off? I shaved something? some of that off on an ice cream or on like a mango tart or, you know, whatever. Yeah. And a note. A note. What does it say? David, hello from Panama. I've really enjoyed the podcast. The interviews with Shapers are great, really insightful. Just wanted to say thanks. Best regards, Joe Walden. Yes, Joe. Amazing, dude. Yeah. Thank you so much, Joe Walden. Yeah, and I've expressed our thanks as well on Facebook. So Joe's sending of gifts was very kind. Unbelievable, dude. Yeah. Um, I mean, look at just the... Uh, the cacao balls are incredible. Yeah, you're going to have to... Um, I need a Maybe photo. you can do something with a steak or something with your... I don't know. Steak and chocolate? I don't know. Two don't of know. my favorite things. Just I, mash them together. Yeah, I don't know. I don't <laughs> Throw them in a Cuisinart? I'm not sure what you do with that. Um, awesome, dude. Well, thanks. That's I huge. I can see you shredding it over some like liqueur, some evening liqueur. Yeah, I'll figure it out. Yeah. I'll figure it out and I'll post it maybe in the stories at Surf Splendor on uh, Instagram. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, should we move inside? Yeah, then? we'll move inside. It's getting hot in here. It is. All right, we're back. Yes, we are, and um, maybe a little bit more echo in this room. I'm noticing some fish tank gurgling. <laughs> you know, one of the things that we haven't touched on because we've been out for a month, mostly due to my travels, um, is the Kelly Slater Wave Pool event went off. I don't think you and I have discussed. We this. haven't. The Future Classic. Right. The that's future what, class. That's what they were calling That's it. cool. Which is super cool. So I was lucky enough to meet with Randy Rarick the day after the event. Randy was up there. Of course, Kelly and his team there at the Kelly Slater Wave Pool Company did a really good job of bringing in all the right people for Truly. this event. Yeah, amazing. And, uh, and Randy um, gave me sort of the, you know, we had breakfast and he, he gave me the lowdown. You know, we spent an hour chatting about it and. And Randy Rarick said that, first of all, that from his point of view, uh, from a fan's perspective, this is not a monotonous wave to watch. Okay. That, um, that it was, every ride was intriguing um, from, a, from a scoring standpoint, from a fan's perspective. Um, and that the wave's just as incredible as it looks in fact, it's way more incredible in person. Really? Yeah, and and it and he also stressed what a what a fascinating engineering marvel this thing is that that they were adjusting the wave on the on the fly. Um, for instance, when Randy and Sean Thompson and Mark Richards and Rabbit Bartholomew got out there, the the old guard, they toned the wave down quite a bit. They can make the wave flatter and not tube. And um, and my feeling on it is, you know, first of all, they all deserve a big round of applause and a kudos for pulling this thing off, for pulling off a, a wave that is incredible. Yeah. Um, and I, but I also look at it from a thirty thousand foot level, which is to say that 
You know, um, when Apple created the first desktop computer, it was called the Macintosh, right? And Wozniak and Steve Jobs celebrated roundly, and it was a big deal. And a lot of people went out and bought these machines, and it was the start of the personal home computer revolution. And there was a moment of celebratory, we've done it. And I think that that event for the Kelly Slater Future Classic was sort of that moment. It was like that 1984, we've created the personal computer and they're off and running and people are buying it. Right. And I think people are buying the wave pool, Kelly Slater's wave pool. But I also think that we're just at the tip of the iceberg. 20 years later, 30 years later, excuse me, Waz and Steve Jobs are celebrating the iPhone. Or perhaps it's the iPod. My point is, is that they didn't lose track of the future. They didn't rest on their laurels. And I think that that's the situation with the Kelly Slater wave pool and with all wave pool technology. We are just at the very tip of it. So for those of us out there, they're like, oh, that's lame. There's, it's so easy to be a hater on this thing. And if you're a hater for being a hater, then we hate you. <laughs> no. uh, then fine, whatever. You're not going to change that person's mind. But you must realize that if you're the rather not a hater, but perhaps cynical, and you're saying to yourself, which I am, this wave needs to change on the fly as it's breaking, which you and I have talked about. That is going to happen. That's just a matter of time. Um, when you think about the amount of CPU that the 1984 Macintosh used versus the phone that's in my hand right now, there's like probably, and I'm just guessing, 100,000 times more processing power in this phone than was in the 1984 Macintosh. And so, as you know, David, technology, it moves exponentially. Like yeah. it's, it just, so I guarantee you that in perhaps five or 10 years, or maybe sooner, they're going to have a wave that on the fly, there's going to be engineers in the background changing the way the wave works. And in fact, they won't even be, they'll set it up so they don't have, they can be hands off they won't even know how the machine is going to change the wave, how the software is going to change the wave as the wave is breaking. Because certainly that would be unfair, right, if you had the ability to sort of be the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain and be able to change the wave based on your own subjective viewpoint. You really want it to just randomly select a new way that the wave breaks, as Gabe Medina's writing it. You know, so... Point is, technology is going to change so quick that this wave is only going to get better. Like we're at a found, an incredible foundations, uh, foundational place, right. and it's only going to be um, better and better and better. And it's going to be, happen way sooner than say the ten years it took to get where we're at now. I couldn't agree more. And if you referencing the conversation we were having about language learning software, you know, in theory, you could. Uh, track enough ocean data for a given surf spot. Let's say Swami's in San Diego. Track it over the course of a month. Put all that information into the computer and then have the wave pool recreate it. And just be like, look, this is how many waves came through. We want to create that many waves with that much diversity in the waves and that style of wave. And then we'll go and track um, you know, pipeline and recreate that and in theory, the software has the capability to run that many different algorithms and that many create that many different waves if they can um, generate the right amount of energy to actually produce it. But that is feasible. 
There's no reason why we couldn't create that, why they couldn't create that. Yeah, it's, it's about changing the bottom contour on the fly, right? Yeah. And when you think about it, like you think about a classic wave, like the wave that professional surfing holds in, in like just the highest regard. And I'll throw the wave, I'll throw bells out there. You think about bells. Look, and for, for that matter, swamis. Uh, bells and swamis, they're not that, um, their character, characteristic of those waves isn't that mind-blowing. You know, it's a steep drop. It goes through a flat section. There's one bowl at the end, and the wave's over. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So my point is, is it won't be that much to recreate and to make change to things so that it resembles... Uh, I'm not saying we want it to resemble bells or swamis. My point is, is that a natural wave in the ocean, even Sunset Beach, look, it's got a big drop. You do a turn, you do a hook, and then you get the inside barrel that you try to race through. It's not like there's 15,000 variables we're talking about here. You know, like there's a takeoff bowl, a good cutback section and a tube bowl. And that's the wave, you know, like three different, three different um, bottom contours. In, In theory, in the ocean, there's actually millions of variables and so for that to come together is pretty rare, but I think you can eliminate a million of those variables in the wave pool and control for the three or four that you need to come together, which is the energy, the wind condition, the tide condition, and the bottom contour. Like in the ocean, for those things to align, the million extraneous variables have to also align. In the wave pool, you eliminate the extraneous stuff and you just focus on the four that matter and you can recreate it actually fairly easily. And, and I'm just trying to attack the one concern of many of others, but the one is the monotony of it. You know, like yeah. oh, it seems yeah. monotonous. It well, seems from a too perfect. Standpoint. It's too perfect. Well, I'm saying that look, from we can future, throw a couple yeah. of variables and make it as imperfect as totally. swamis or bells, which, by the way, is super fun, rippable wave, but wouldn't be considered right. world class if it hadn't had so much. It actually is a pretty world class wave. I, I think that. But you, you get my point. I, I don't it. want to diva- uh, diverge here. but So anyway, it was pretty cool to hear firsthand what Randy had to say. He also said that catching the waves, it's easy once you learn how, but it's difficult the first time, that there's a little bit of a technique to catching that first wave. And if, if more than one person um, didn't catch it right away, yeah. you know, like because for whatever reason, they weren't in the right spot. And right. Apparently, you have to paddle towards the wall. Yeah. You know, and so well, I don't know. Again, you and I haven't discussed it, but... Um, I don't know if you've noticed, they line up four surfers in the pool. Yes. So the guy who takes off way outside, if he falls at some point, another surfer can swoop in and grab the wave because that wave, it takes four minutes, I guess, to generate that wave. And once that wave's going, it'd be a shame if the surfer fell and the rest of it was wasted energy. So they have those four surfers sitting in the pool waiting for their turn in case somebody falls. And I've even seen it happen where... They have a surfer on the jet ski tracking the wave. So when somebody fell, it was Matt Wilkinson, jumped off the ski onto the wave on his belly and then stood up and kept riding it. So no wave goes unsurfed, basically, in the pool. I, um, I'm going to surf the Inland Surf Park this week. Are in, you in really? In Austin, Texas. Yeah. You're finally yeah, making finally good on it. that. Yeah. We, uh, you may recall, listeners may recall that I was going to go last year and the the lining of the inland wave park pool ripped or broke or something so i had to cancel my trip so that ticket with southwest airlines is sitting out there and if i don't use it 
it goes away. So my last day to use it is this week. So me and my buddy are going to, we've booked a little session. So we, we're going to get a couple hours on the inland wave park in Austin, Texas. So that'll be a cool little, I'm looking forward to just a user experience yeah. when I will come back here, of course, and, and convey all of uh, what I learned. So are you staying overnight or are you just flying out for the day, flying back? Yeah, flying yeah. in, flying out, same day. And how long do you get in the pool? Well, you buy, you can buy hour allotments, and I think it's 90 bucks an hour. Okay. And we bought two hours worth. And are you bringing your own boards? I want to bring a board. I've been riding this little Channel Islands Twin Fin. You may have seen I did a little thing on Instagram about it, but um, I'm, I'm not sure yet. I don't want to bring a board because I think the beauty of this is you shouldn't have to bring a board. You know, you should, that's kind of a hassle. Yeah. Like, there should be a board that is ideal for a wave pool that's there. Yeah. Um, in many ways, that's sort of the beauty of the lack of spontaneity is that you know you're getting a, a three to four foot kind of relatively soft wave. Sure. And so the equipment's, you know the equipment, what you would require in advance, and they should have that on site. Yeah. But... I haven't made that decision. You know, there's also the part of me that's like, I have a real personalized quiver that I love I and I want to ride that board in those conditions. So it's, I think that's going to be, uh, is it an anxiety? It's going to be a dilemma that we all face when we eventually, if we do partake of the wave pool phenomenon, we're all going to face that. Yeah. You know, do we bring a board or are there boards there that are going to be fine? Also, yeah. isn't it fresh water? It is fresh water. So that's different. That is different. Yeah. Not as much buoyancy. So yeah, maybe you ride EPS. Yeah, a lot of that. And, and how much of that do you even notice? Like, are we that good? Or is David and Scott, are we, are we that sensitive of surfers that we notice the difference? Perhaps. I would like to think so. Yeah, okay, but are we really? I mean, you can think all you want. But, <laughs> but the problem is you don't know until you're in the pool, at which point... That's your one chance, you know, and like, so... Have you ever surfed in a wave pool? No. Okay, well, I've done the Typhoon Lagoon mm -hmm. in Orlando. And I can't say that I was like, oh, yeah, I totally noticed the difference between the pool water and the ocean Because water. that pool sucks. Like, once you're on a wave that's going for a minute, you know, yeah, and actually, maybe, actually maybe drawing right. out turns and feeling the responsiveness, like, that is then when you'll realize it. Yeah, we... When you're on a short, punchy Typhoon Lagoon, like, it, you don't even get a chance to really feel your board. Right? How would you know? I would just assume. Well, no, you're kind of right. It's kind of a one-hit wonder. If you're lucky, if you get one turn on that wave, yeah. then it's over. Yeah. All right. Well, that's exciting. Did Rarick actually ride a wave there? Yeah, Rarick. In fact, there's video of Rarick and Sean Thompson kind of like getting a little aggro. Apparently, Sean hasn't lost any of his competitive zeal. Really? Yeah. They were on the same wave? Yeah, they were, they were on the same wave. I think... I don't know. Rarick tells the story, and I don't want to bludgeon, bludgeon the story, but basically Sean was pretty competitive, and he was bummed that Mark Richards was ripping and getting a ton of waves. And, you know, like Mark would fall, and then Rabbit would fall, but Mark would be in a great spot to pick up the wave again halfway through the wave, and he'd pick it up and rip it. And then he'd be at the beginning point for the left, and it, but it was Sean's turn, but Mark was there, so Mark went, and Sean's, like, throwing his hands up in the air going, Ugh. And so Sean took off on a wave that was really Rarix and Rarix and Sean. I mean, if you watch the video, it's like, it's not friendly. It's combative. I love they, it. They like bash knees and stuff. Really? Yeah. Where's the video? 
It's on Randy's Instagram. Oh, or, is it really? Yeah, I'll look it up. It's on somebody's Instagram. I saw it. I, I uh, saw sh- Mark Richards' Instagram. He did a Mark phenomenal. It. He did a phenomenal job explaining the wave itself. Too. He did. He and actually like, has a great Instagram. Most of his Instagram posts, David, if I can interrupt, are, yeah, are very uh, intuitive. Like they're very insightful. They're full of insight and history lessons too. And some of them are board building. Most of them, I guess, are board building. A lot of them are like he'll post an archived surf photo and give like this detailed backstory to why he was surfing sunset that day and what board he was riding and who the photographer was, what that photographer is doing now for a living, like all sorts of interesting stuff. Treasure I would, trove. I would suggest to you that if you want to learn how to do a good Instagram post, that you look at some of Mark's. Mark's are, are almost all really well thought out. He puts a lot of time into them. Yeah. You know, in my in my vision, a perfect Instagram is like that. You see an image. I don't want to. I don't want you to type. Here's a picture of me and my pet dog. What I want to see is what the dog meant to you, what the dog smelled like at the time of the. You know why the picture is important. Um, you know, you get what I'm saying. Yeah. You don't. It's like a good caption. You don't want to say. Here's me and my dog. You want to learn something about the image that you wouldn't otherwise get from looking at the image. Right. And Mark Richards does a great job of that. And Ross Williams is also pretty good. There's a few Instagram guys that are really good at telling a story behind the image. The funny thing is with Mark Richards, it's almost the it's anti-Instagram. Like the value of Instagram generally is the speediness and like. It's Insta. It's in a moment and you're scrolling through quickly and you want like just the the quick hit. But he's defied it so much so that it's actually its own thing now. His style of Instagramming is different than what I've come to expect from Instagram. But I love it. And I will take the time to read it. Well, I mean, when you think about your personal Instagram experience, I'm imagining and you tell me, David, you're scrolling through that thing fast. And you're like, trying. I mean, you're whipping through it and something's got to catch your eye right before you're. And then if something catches your eye, well, then it's caught your eye. Mm-hmm. So you're willing maybe to go, oh, I'm going to read about this because this is, mm-hmm. you know, so it's weird. The image is the hook. And then once we set the hook, can we pull the bait? Can we pull the fish into the boat? I yeah. don't know. Awesome. Well, that's good insight. Um, when you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInJobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, 
totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Do So I got a listener email or actually a comment on spitpodcast.com that kind of ties into that subject Mm -hmm. and might segue nicely into the Quicksilver Pro. Mm -hmm. It was from Adam Logan on spitpodcast.com in the comment section. He said, should surf scoring be completely revamped? In bull riding, the bull gets scored on the ri- and the rider gets scored. If the bull only bucks fair, your score gets limited no matter how well you ride it. Excellent surfing on an average wave, should the score be capped at 8? Average surfing on an excellent wave is a 5. As Scott loves to tell us, the waves are the stars. So let the surfer get scored on a wave selection as well as the quality of surfing. I think the judges may do this already, but surfers should know if they need an eight at four foot J Bay, taking off on a two footer and doing a rodeo ain't going to cut it. Cheers. What do you think? Wow. It's, it's a great email. It's a great thought. And it's, it's, it certainly adds to an already problematic judging situation adds to it i think this really kind of solves a lot of it like this for some how have we not thought of this before of all the judging scenarios we've conceived of we've overlooked this one and i think this is genius the wave gets a score surfer gets a score i like it i mean it harkens back to sort of old school judging criteria was which was one of the first things was the surfer that catches the largest wave that used to be part of the deal And, and when you think about surf contests a lot of times we try to mimic our surfing experience on a free surf basis. In other words, when you and I are out there surfing, the guy that gets the bomb, you're like going, God, that guy got the bomb. And you're not even really concerned with what he did on the wave. It's just the fact that he caught the biggest set wave and therefore he's the winner. And so I think a little bit of that is lost. And I think Adam speaks to this, that maybe we need to consider the wave quality versus the score. You know, and I think it's, I think it's valid. I, I just, I asked myself, how do you determine an average wave well, for instance, France. Yeah. How do you do that? How do you determine what's only going to get an eight? Well, for all the subjectivity involved in judging the surfing itself, there's an equal amount in judging the wave Which itself. Which is why I think it's problem. It adds a whole other level of problem. But that exists for the bull riders too, right? I mean, those judges have to determine whether or not that was a difficult bull to ride. And that's subjective, but they're doing it. Yeah. They're aspi- I, mean, I mean, we need to aspire to do it. Yeah. We need to hold ourselves to that standard because yeah. we've maxed out the current thing and we've really highlighted the limitations of the current format to where we just keep hitting our heads against these limitations over and over. And what are the limitations that we're hitting our head against? Um, Gabriel, must- Gabriel Medina's air in the semifinal against John John Florence at the Quick Pro. It's like at the Quick Pro. It was like... Well, he fell back and had to recover from that. So do you deduct points from that? Do you add points to it? It was only a one way, one maneuver on that wave. So can you give a one maneuver, an 8-5-7, if he didn't even fully land the maneuver? I mean, he fully landed it in the end, but he had to lay back and recover. Like, there's a lot of question marks in that score. Hmm. I didn't see that heat. I wish I would have. Hmm. Um, you know, I don't... I'm I'm more concerned with that we don't get three to the beach itis, that we get too comfortable with comfortable surfing, that right. we're not pushing the level of performance surfing. And so, was there 
drama around that score that Gabe yes. got? Yes. That he was he overscored? Yes. Because it was a one maneuver wave. It, was it wasn't a, a set wave. It was and a he ro- fell. rodeo. Flip. Was it backside? Backside. I saw it on he's, Strider's. He's on a right. Yeah. He does basically. I don't know. It's a small wave. We'd have to call Cote right now, but I don't know if it's a rodeo flip. But it's basically he did a flip. Yeah. It was like a barrel. It was roll. insane. I saw it from Strider's vantage point on his Instagram. Yeah. It was pretty cool. I just and haven't. and he lands laying back completely. The recovery itself was phenomenal. Like it was shocking that he recovered. But again, did he, he had to the score to win, or did he? No, already... it was mid heat. It was okay, mid heat. Okay, I think John John was ahead at that point, but it was like it was still completely up in the air. Still they had sixes. Left, really. Yeah, and then he did that. Got an eight five seven. Oh no, he had a he had a one line one wave that was already in his scoring line, which was like a five a seven five seven or something. Then he got that eight five seven. Did you expect him to do that? No. It seems to me that he's pushing the. Barrier that he's pushing performance surfing. He totally did, and it's not like he did his standard no thing. Wait, so the controversy is when you go back and review the heat on the heat analyzer. Look at John John's two waves versus Gabriel's two waves. Right, it looks pretty clear to me that John John deserved to win that heat, while Gabriel's thing pushed the limit and was super radical. It was, it was a one innovative. It was something that had never, very rarely, is done in competition, if at all. Very rarely, but the only other Gabe's the only guy. No, 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 dude. A Remember, Pakadowskis oh, did right, one yeah. in Chopu four yeah. years ago. Wilco's done them at Snapper five or six years ago. Like they've been done in competition. Yeah, but there's repeatedly. pretty four or five year gaps between these. But that means that it was done. Five years ago, which means it's not necessarily innovative. I mean, I agree I think with you. It's difficult. It I think super, the level of difficulty is pretty high for this. Super difficult. Yeah. Super interesting. Like, I was thrilled to see it, but he had to lay back to recover. Yeah. And when you just look at the two waves versus the two waves, John John's were sicker. Like, John John deserved to win the heat. He ended up losing the heat by point four. Oh. Um, so it was super close. So the question comes down really to that one score. And it. It actually wasn't. I don't think it was the highest scoring wave of the heat because John John got a nine, but you you still you know is it is well, it worth an eight? Here's eight, five, another seven. way to look at it. Yeah, if you don't reward Gabriel for trying something outside the box, let's say. Yeah. Gabe loses the heat, but he did something that's incredible. His thought is, why am I even trying to do this? Why not just do an insane power carve? Do another one of my standard. Aerials that I know I can make that'll light the crowd up. Yeah, and so you you have to you have to support his his gumption to go for it totally, and you have to score him because it's it's not it's out of the norm. Yeah, and yet you know maybe we're looking at John John's waves and we're going, God, he's he surfed better, but did he push the boundary? Because like I said, Gabe can probably do some pretty powerful carves, and but he decided to go. He could have fallen on that wave because of the maneuver he went, and I guess he did. <laughs> let's well, let's discuss the layback recovery then. You know, um, there's been a lot of other examples where people use that method. They go into the layback, recover from it, and then get up, and their score is hindered because of it. Right. But this was such an extreme maneuver right. that it was like the score was already built in yeah. as long as he stood up again. Hmm, I don't so. know. Not, you know me. I'm not necessarily a Gabby fan, but I, I'm concerned that people are, are like, oh, the scoring's too conservative. Yeah. 
the surfing is too conservative because they're surfing down to the judges. Right. And I'd rather we surf up to the judges. I, I agree with that completely. And at the end of the day, if John John's big power, smooth surfing power hacks, flow, speed, blah, 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 look better than Gabriel's innovative, high performance, go for it gumption move, then are we sitting back on our laurels here and are we not pushing the sport forward? Yeah. I don't know. Did you watch much of the event? I did. I yeah. watched a ton of it. Yeah. It was, it was great. I mean, John John Florence was just looking in. Did he never? I don't think he ever fell on an aerial maneuver. He seemed to make everything. Did he ever fall once? I didn't see him fall. I don't think he fell. Yeah. Uh, I didn't. Unfortunately, I was out of town when the event. by the time the event started, and I didn't get to watch you didn't get, it live. You didn't get any like LTE in that canyon in Utah you were in? <laughs> I had it at the Weren't Airbnb. were you at Zion? It looked like you were at Zion. Yeah, I was National. in Zion. Uh, I had it at the Airbnb, but it's like by the time you get home at night, you don't have time. And so like usually what I do for Fran- in the with the Europe events for you and I in Southern California, they run in the middle of the night. And what I'll do lots of times is then not check any media in the morning when I wake up, go to work, push play at the beginning of the heat analyzer and watch it all in real time throughout my work day. Like on a minimized window while I'm working just off to the side when somebody catches a wave, look up and just watch it as if it's live. But of course, the last couple of days, I wasn't able to do that. So I just watched all the highlights to see what was happening. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the waves are freaking pumping, dude. It looks so spectacular. Oh my, it was. Yeah, it was insane. And Mick Fanning surprised me. He, I know. He punched, punched out a pretty hot aerial. That was did so that? rad. Yeah, I did. I was like, wow. I know. And it wasn't like... Um, sort of a, I gotta, I gotta stay up with the youngsters. Ariel, it was more like yeah. I've got full speed and I'm doing this, and yeah, this is the, legit. It, what looked, it, it looked for. like, oh yeah, he does those all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it was what the section called for. It was, yeah, no, it was rad. Um, and I was glad to be honest. I'm glad to see Gabriel win. Like, let's get real. Gabriel is he is a he needs phenomenal freak show of a surfer, yes. and he's been off his game. Like, he's been losing heats that he shouldn't be losing for most of the year now. Yeah. So it's kind of nice to see him actually return to the form and, be, and let's be honest, provide more drama and com- competition for John John to elevate his game and yes. Jordy to elevate his game. It makes the world title race a Those, lot more interesting. Yes. So I was, I was excited by all of that. And I would ask you, is it because Gabe was surfing to the judges in, earlier in the year that he wasn't getting the scores, and now he's going outside of the box and getting crazy and getting the scores? The judges are demanding that of him, perhaps. I Maybe. Don't know. I think it's important that we elevate, keep the sport moving and progressing. And, and you know, yeah. Well, he jumped. Gabriel jumped from eighth place all the way up to third place with this win. Uh, but he's still 9,000 points behind John John, who's sitting in the lead still. Look, the sport needs Gabe and John John to be rivals. This is a, an organic and a real thing. Um, on the WSL website, they did a great job of breaking down. Gabe owns John John. Oh, does he yeah, really? He's, he's won like 10, 10 to 4 or oh, something wow. like that. Some, but it's it's quite obvious. And, he, and especially in France, I don't think the three or four times they've met up, John, uh, Gabe's won every every heat. Wow! So this is a great rivalry. I wouldn't mind seeing Gabe do better than John John in Portugal, so that we get this end yeah. of the year thing. Yeah, fascinating. So as you wa- you said, you watched all of the event. 
who's surfing? Well, I thought you John Johns was in, John Johns was because even as John John was insane. That left the aerial he did yeah. early in that heat on a that, those waves are way bigger than they look on oh, video yeah. too. That's an eight foot wave. Yeah, and the landing in the most critical section. It, it could have toured the. It was just. In, it was awesome. It, and well, the land, he did it with such a blah, such. This is what I do. Yeah, you know, such. Of course, I'm gonna. It wasn't like he even buttery. needed to claim it. It was no. buttery. So that's what I'm thinking is as you're you're kind of touting Gabriel pushing the contest uh, or the judges, you know, progression, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, he did on that one wave. But honestly, when I look back at the highlights from the event, John John's airs are the ones that stand out to me over Gabriel's. Absolutely, and like they're the they're rotations we've already seen. But the angles that he's doing them at, the sections he's doing them on, the kind of tweaked tweakedness and inversion that he's getting out of a rotation is like it's gnarly. It's yeah, so gnarly, and it's so buttery. It's buttery. He's adding little nuance. He's adding things that only he can add. It seems he's he's not going into the air going, "I'm not going to make it." He's going into the air going, "Watch me do this part, and this is going to add to the flair, the spirit of the move." Here's one other element of it that. John John I think has going for him when the judges watch it Gabriel's rodeo or whatever we're calling it he's pumping he's pumping you see the section he telegraphs it he does it it's exciting but you saw it coming John John's airs you don't see coming he's coming off of some other turn bottom turns flings it into a lip that's already pitching at him and it projects him into some weird kind of off into the flats or something there's an element of improv when he's going into it, there's an element of improv when he's in the air doing the rotation. All of it is improv and none of it is telegraphed. And that's what's exciting about it. Yeah. There was a heat. Um, did you watch the Wilco heat where Wilco lost? No. It was insane. I wish I could remember. I think it was against. I'll look it up while you're talking. Ace Bucking. But the important part of the heat was that Wilco feels like he got robbed by the judges. And it's a post-heat interview with Rosie. And it's the greatest post-heat interview I've ever seen. First of all, hats off to Wilco for having a post-heat interview after losing a, a huge heat regarding his world title contention. Yeah. And he basically, what he does is he walks a really thin line between, basically, he, you can tell he wants to flip out and say, this is bullshit. Mm-hmm. I, I was underscored. The judges got it wrong. And in many people's eyes, that was the case. It was a very tight, close Against Nat Young. Yes, exactly. It was against Nat Young. Ace Buck and same thing. Um, no, just kidding. <laughs> and, <laughs> the American Ace Buck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, no, there's actually quite a bit of difference between the two. But So Wilco has this great... Yeah, one of them does well. <laughs> <laughs> Wilco does this great post-heat interview where he could have gone Bobby Martinez and said... F the WSL, they're making this into a tennis league, they got it wrong, but he does a really good job of containing his frustration, but you also sense his frustration. Okay. And it's a great, and Rosie does a great job of asking important questions, and you can just see it in Wilco that he's disappointed, but he, he takes the high line, he takes the professional line, and I, uh, I really gained a lot more respect for him as a professional. This is the way you do post-heat interviews where you can express your frustration. Everybody gets it. Everyone's feeling for you. But you don't act unprofessional. You don't act like a 15-year-old baby. Yeah. And Interesting. 
It was really, really a good interview. It's rad that we've gotten to see Wilco grow up on tour. Literally at the end of the interview, he just goes like this. He just goes, yeah. uh, (laughs) He does that, which is his way of saying, I really want to cuss right now, but I'm not going to. It's what the French cashier did to you when you were trying to check out. I got the Wilco. I got the Wilco. I think Wilco encountered that woman, too, because he was just recreating it. It It was epic. And Rosie went, thank you so much for your time. And you could really, everyone got it. That yeah. He was pissed, but he didn't cuss. I just watched um, the Heat Analyzer, exactly what you're talking about. Wilco's two waves versus Nat two waves. Yeah. And I think Nat deserved to win that. He may have. The, the, but I could the see backside Wilco. aerial that Wilco did, the, there's two in a row. He catches two waves in a row that are very similar. One of them. He, whips, a, he whips the backside spin. But, yeah. But to Nat's credit, Nat got a left. That he ripped and then did a big frontside spin on. Yeah, too, and I'm not so. doubting the outcome of the heat. I'm yeah. just trying to highlight what a great post heat interview it was. Because yeah, I hear you. There's and it, and it also really highlights why the loser, the post heat loser interview, is so much better than the oh, post heat yeah. winner interview. Totally. And but they've they got to do. Only... They've got to do. No, they have to demand those. Yeah, you're right. The guy might not be up for it, but to your point, Wilco became. You know, he's matured a lot in recent years. I, I mean, let's give credit to Glenn Hall for kind of getting Wilco's headspace into a competitive space and like an athletic space where it's not all emotion, but we got to see a little bit of Wilco emotion again. We got great emotion from him and he gained a bunch of new fans. I'm sure of it. And, um, and it's, it's, you know, like I say, I, I believe that every heat should have a post heat interview from the loser. And if you don't want to do it, you're not on tour. There's a bunch of guys that'll gladly raise their hand and go, yeah, I'll do a post heat interview. Everybody should do a post-heat interview because, frankly, surfers have no leverage. Yeah. There's tons of hot surfers that want to surf. So if you don't want to do a post-heat interview, fine. Totally. We'd love you for you to do that. If you don't want to, you're out. Yeah. Next. Can I read another email that came through? It's related to the WSL. Um, Lucas sent the email, and he said, For some reason, I decided to read a story on the Cascaish uh, QS event on the WSL's website today. It's the realest piece of media that I've come across from the WSL in 10-plus years of watching contests. Here's the opening two paragraphs, bolding the emphasis. uh, Quote, even on its best days, Cascaish Priaguincho, which finds itself both the go-to and the backup venue for the Billabong Pro, has a significant slightly sinister vibe at best it's ready at worst it's desperate with howling onshore winds unless of course it's just onshore from dawn which was the case today thus a paucity of oceanic quality governed a largely inauspicious start to the proceedings of the world's best qualifiers end quote uh, Lucas goes on to say, they're crap-talking the conditions on the WSL's own website. I know that you and Scott have discussed this about how, according to the WSL, the conditions are always, quote, epic or firing. Is this just because it's a QS event that they feel comfortable to crap-talk about the conditions? Or is this a whole new day for the WSL? I'll let the, you read the last of the article for yourself, but I could hardly believe that it was that I was reading, number one, that the positivity wasn't cranked to 110%. And number two, that the writing was actually pretty good in this article. Anyways, keep up the great work. The shows are great. I thought that was interesting. So the WSL is kind of criticizing their own decisions 
on where they run the event and when they run the event, or they're at least allowing the writer to criticize it. Is that on the WSL website? That was on the WSL website, that article. My response to Who wrote it? Um, Doesn't say? No, it, prob- it does say because I did look it up originally, but I didn't write it in my notes. Um, I'll tell you right now, Paul Evans. So Paul Evans, does he work for the WSL? I don't know. I wonder if they have something where QS events can put out their own PR and they each hire somebody. Yeah. Maybe that guy works for Billabong. Was it a Kaskai Billabong Pro or something? Yeah. And so they have like a CMS where you go in the back end, like WordPress, and and they let you post your own PR. And the guy just went went under the radar. Got away with talking crap about the I don't know if he talked crap. I'd say he talked honestly. Yeah, exactly. I don't think it's crap talk. I think it's completely honest. honest. What's honest to all of us interneters they would always write as being like firing conditions or epic conditions or this is the right event. This right. is the right venue and to run that came event from on. corporate so WSL PR rather than just an individual guy that had access to the back end of the WSL website and was allowed to post. Could have been. QS PR. Yeah. So my response to Lucas was just as a follow-up, I had to wonder why I didn't see that article. And the reality is because the WSL's website has stimulation overload. Like... Their website's so confusing and so much is going on. And I'll often, uh, between the CT events, the Big Wave World Tour, the QS events, the Wave Pool, they're trying to develop, and them trying to develop these personal interest stories and reporting on general surf news, there's a dizzying chaos to their site that usually results in me ignoring everything altogether and just looking for the top, like, which event is it? Let me just click there. I ignore everything else that's on the page. And that's something that I hadn't really thought about up until he sent me this. And I was like, why didn't I read that article? Oh, it's because I ignore everything that's on that website. Well, I would totally agree with you, by the way. My user experience is the same. I'm just like, uh-oh, just yeah. overload. Please just, you know, the reason I'm here is because there's a CT event on. Exactly. So my question to you is, would you really read a QS press release from the bill of, from the Cash Guy Pro? No. Yeah. And that's how this guy started his email. Lucas, he was just like, I have no idea why I clicked on this yeah. thing, but I did. Yeah. But the only chance that the WSL has for me to click onto their site, other than to watch an event is maybe on a Facebook link or a link through Instagram because there was an article that they wrote and now I'm actually clicking through to it. Yeah. There's no chance of me going to their site to like spend 10 minutes me either. checking. And so that's something, and I know that key people there listen to this show. Dude, you guys, stimulation overload. It's way too confusing. And yeah. you and I have asked them to create interesting content. They are actually doing that. And you and I try to applaud them and, and feature their articles on this show when we find them, but nobody's going to find them because it's too st- it, it's poorly designed. The I, user I don't think anybody cares about the QS. Look, I know there's parents of kids and there's the kids in, in the event. They need to focus on the CT. The CT is where it's at. If you go to the NFL website, they're not telling us about the developmental league of the NFL. Nobody gives a shit. No, but you and I have said they need to do human interest pieces. Well, for sure. And they've doubled down on that. lost in all the math. That's exactly right. They've actually been doing that, and you and I don't even find it because right. it's That's so chaotic. That's a problem. So WSL, we can stimulation overload, dude. Yeah, let's, let's think about focusing on what it is that you focus on, which is the CT. The CT is everything. Yeah. Um, speaking of that. Yes. I've got some big wave surfing news. Quicksilver, the Eddie Aikau event has been called off for this year. Apparently, the Aikau family introduced new terms into the negotiations, which the Quicksilver, uh, the company Quicksilver, could not agree to. Um, I'm not sure what went down, but I think last minute 
the iCals brought something to the table that was just, I don't know. It was too much for Quicksilver to deal with. They're like, you know what? The event, if it was to happen, would be too soon, and we're not even, we haven't even hammered out the deal yet, so let's just hold off until next time around. Last, last year we ran into this as well, and then they got it together in the last minute. I've got something to say about this. Please. Since the event's primary purpose... Like, if we take all the egos and all the money and all the crap out of the equation and we realize, look, at the very beginning of this, this is about honoring and celebrating the life of champion big wave surfer and Waimea Bay lifeguard Eddie Aikau. That is the reason we're doing this. Right. And if there's another motivating factor like money or ego or a company selling T-shirts, then we got to get rid of that. We mm. need to focus on the primary purpose, honoring Eddie Aikau. With the idea being that we don't neglect the honor of Eddie Aikau, I think what would be a good idea is for the WSL to run the Eddie every single year as a WCT event. Yeah. And it happens at either Jaws or Waimea Bay. Now, we only need two days for a WCT event, according to Scott Bass's new WCT format. We only need eight hours, by the way. I've broken it down to a 16-man deal. I've been working on this. 16-man event, 12 people are CTers, four people are wild cards that come from the QS. And the QS, we must have, there's, so there's four guys from the QS in every single CT event. And they're the top four guys. But they're not the same top four guys because the QS, if you win a QS, you immediately are number one on the QS. Based on the way the point structure is. If, if, like you're, if, you if, you're, if you win a 10,000 QS, yeah. according to my format, oh, okay. Okay. you immediately jump to number one. Okay. And then the other three filter down according to the point totals. Okay. So winning a QS 10,000 immediately makes you into the next CT, unless there's a QS 10,000 before the next CT. And that way we get fresh blood in those four guys. Genius. Yes. And so the Eddie... Eddie, we can honor Eddie every year. Look, the Duke contest got buried, uh, for lack of a better phrase. We used to have the Duke Invitational. It was the biggest Hawaiian surfing contest in the world. It, it was everything to Hawaiians. So we got to take, we can't let the Eddie get buried like that. Agreed. We can't let the Eddie go away. Yeah. Now, the Duke has this thing called the Duke Fest every summer in town, but that's very regional. It's not brought to the masses. Right. It's not brought to the world the way the WSL and the WCT could bring it. And we need Eddie's legacy to be continued on to the world through the CT. And so that's my... What do you think about that? Is that a good idea? I think it's absolutely necessary. Yeah, I agree. Now, rumors are flying about schedule shakeup with the WCT. Have you heard this? There's lots of rumors. Yeah. And I'm hearing that the Mentawise are going to be part of the equation next year or in, or in 2019. Yeah. And along those lines, as I've mentioned, I've broken it down so that we only need eight hours of competition. And oh, by the way, that includes a one-hour final. Mm -hmm. Eight hours of competition, 16 surfers. And in January, the, the World Tour starts at Pipeline with the Pipe Pro. In February, it goes to Mavericks. This is, well... Okay, yeah. This is your uh, this is your suggestion. This is the but yes. the WSL. The rumor was leaked that the pipe will be the start of the yes, season. Yes, exactly. Yeah. 
But the Mavericks thing, you're suggesting. This is yeah, this is Got Scott's it. tour, and I've refined it on the show over many. And bear with me, and thanks for listening. Many years, yeah. Thanks for listening to it again. But yeah, no, no, it's, it's January, further refined. February's Mavericks. March we have Australia. April we have Australia. We focus on the Gold Coast or Bells, but we're open to swell options. Any opportunities that come our way in March and April are in Australia. May we go to Tavarua. June we find a one day. These are all one day, two day windows. June we go to Chopu. July Puerto Escondido. August the Mentawise. September J Bay. October Europe, France or Portugal. November Kelly Slater's Wave Pool. And December we end at the Pipe Masters. And you may be asking, don't we need some time off? Right now we have basically two months off, January and February. For everybody at the WSL offices to get their act together, to breathe. To, to. But I say to you, no, we don't because these are only two-day events. We have much more time to breathe during the year because we're running a lean, mean machine. Okay. We're not bringing a massive event production to each site. We're running this lean, mean machine with 16 surfers and a much a better production but a scaled-down production which is only basically, from a production standpoint, it's probably minimum four days on site. You know, getting there, travel, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Doing the event, leaving. Right. So you're suggesting start at pipe and end at pipe? Yes. Start and end at pipe. You have the Vulcan Pipe Pro, which starts the season. It ends at pipe with the Pipeline Masters. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. They've implemented so many of your changes over the years. I feel good about this one. Well, what's missing from this? Trestles. But see, Trestles is a QS. Is a QS 10,000. 10, yeah. And, oh, by the way, what about the Vans Triple Crown? The Triple Crown, we get rid of it. I hate to say what? it. Yeah, I know. But look, here's the thing. There's going to have to be some changes. You, we've got to focus on what's important. What's important? The WCT. It'll never happen. No, we still have the Vans Hawaiian Crown. Yeah. We just take the word triple out of it. And cool. in October so, and November, we have the Vans Hawaiian Crown. And so, it's the two events. It's the Sunset Beach event, which is a QS 10,000, and the Holly Evo event, which is a QS 10,000. And you're not the, winner of that event, go, the winner of that event is in the Pipeline Masters. Okay. As long as we're still doing the contest, I don't care about the name. We're, and maybe you do call it the Triple Crown because the winner does is automatically put into... The pipeline master. So maybe I've solved my own problem because yeah. according to my QS thing, winner of the QS is yeah. in. Yeah, yeah. So maybe yeah, we keep the vans. We can keep the word triple. Okay. And that helps. That that's probably going to ease a lot of concerns. Right. So we still have the vans triple crown in October, and November, but understand that also in October is the European CT, and also in November is Kelly Slater's wave pool. The beauty thing about Kelly Slater's wave pool is we don't need a, to wait around for a purple blob. Right. We have that thing right away on a set weekend. Totally. Fascinating. I like yeah. it a lot. Yeah, I'm still formulating it. I'm still well accessing it and, and tweaking on it. But I spent a better part of this. I was up early this morning at 4 a.m. trying to figure out how many surfers. And the fact of the matter is we only care about the top 12 surfers, really the top 10. Yeah. And four wild cards really shakes it up. And, right. and it scares the shit out of those 12 guys. Totally. So awesome. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you what, man, talking about tr 
trimming the fat on the tour, so to speak, and like having it leaner with only the top surfers. I want to create some sort of a new game for us to play, which is like, I don't know the title. It'll be something along the lines of the most disappointing heat challenge or something where we pick two guys who always disappoint us every single event. Jordy? <laughs> no, Jordy, I think he's hanging in there. In this event, for me, the most disappointing heat challenge would have been Julian Wilson versus yes, Josh Kerr. Exactly. It's like it's round two. Going into the event, these guys, I'm just so excited to watch surf. And by the end of the event, I'm like, wow, I could not have been more disappointed. And they didn't surf against each other. But in this kind of new game, like, let's put those guys against each other and just see who can muster a six-point heat total. Like, two guys who are world-class surfers who blow my mind with free surf edits and then go out there and leave me more disappointed than I've ever been in my whole life. Yeah, it's Julian versus like Josh Kerr. They almost overanalyze the heat or something before they paddle out. I, I'm not, excuse me, I'm not sure what was going on in Julian Wilson's head, but um, you got to find some waves. Dude, when you watch the Instagram clips of him free surfing, you're like, well, he's unbeatable. He can't surf, nobody can surf better than he can at that spot. And then you watch his heat and you're like, I could have beat him. In that heat, what about Josh Kerr, dude? It, his post heat well, interview sounded like a retirement speech. Well, I mean, his whole season has been a retirement speech, don't you think? What yeah, has he done? Nothing. Has he ever gotten through round three? I think he made it through. I think he made it into round three once. I mean, he he's been off my radar for a long time. I, I've I'm I'm waiting to see. I see him as a big wave world tour guy. Which would be great, actually. I think that'd be a smart move for him. He's when you think about that. Think about Josh Kerr. He was the the legendary aerial guy when there was just aerial contests. Yeah. Josh Kerr was winning those surfing magazine air events yeah, exactly. or whatever they were. I don't even know who put them on. But Josh Kerr was an aerialist, went on tour, got kicked off tour, came back on tour, was in a top 10, maybe the top five at one point. Yep. And now is going on to be a big wave world tour potential champion. Yeah. That's quite... A resume. That's a Hall of Fame resume when you think about it. It is. He needs to be a champion. The thing lacking from it is consistency. You know? It's like so hot and cold. So I'm looking at his his year to date. He's got only two 13th place finishes. Everything else is 25ths, which is last. Yeah. So he has last place and then second to last place. Yeah, he's mounting it in. but, But the problem is he's still one of the best surfers in the world. Like he is a top... 10 surfer in inability level just with an inability to make it happen competitively yeah which means he's not top 10 i mean most there's dispo- a bunch you know clay marzo's top 10 but can't make it happen competitively you know top what i mean 10 like, ability level yeah. yeah you know what i mean it's like okay like i said i've said this to you a million times there's a bunch of red hot surfers out there but at, at this level just like any professional sport golf tennis there's a bunch of guys that can serve 120 mile per hour serve but who's got the mental makeup yeah. to be a stud? You know who does? Adriano. Yep. It's it's like you have to it's it's all determination at this level. Yeah. You know, yeah, there's a bunch of red hot guys. Who's got the internal fortitude yeah. to overcome a hideous style and become a world champion? Yeah. Adriano. Yeah. And that's why our hats are off to him. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, you respect the fact that he's got moxie. Totally. I mean, you and I have gone, just like we're saying we love to watch Matt Wilkinson grow up on tour and kind of go through the evolution that he's gone through in the past years. 
listeners have gotten to watch you and I grow up in our love for Adriano. We, <laughs> we started out years ago. That's a great analogy. Love. Love. <laughs> Dude, we started out hating it. We're like, dude, that guy's the worst. I would never want my kid to surf like Adriano. I still don't want my kid to surf like Adriano de Souza. But, but we've, I, we found a way to love him. He's our blue collar guy. We've found a way he's to embrace. Bunker. Totally. Yeah. There's an element of him that we embrace now and go, you know what, buddy? You won my heart over yeah. and uh, come in for a big hug. Plus, he's a really nice human being. He seems like a great human being based Does he? on everything. Doesn't? Oh, you don't think he is? I don't know. I'm not sure. <laughs> Whoa. I haven't made that assessment personally. Uh, everything I, I like see, his work ethic. Everything I see seems to be. I like his work. It's ethic. all based on, you know, media coverage. Of course. Yeah, his work ethic. He is our lunch pail guy. He's our blue collar guy, right? He puts on a hard hat. Yeah. He punches the clock. Yeah. And you love it about him. Yeah. Well, what other topics do you got, Scott? Uh, Mavericks event is official. So all the legal ramifications, all the legal. Uh, stuff, I guess, has been sorted out. And uh, Sophie Goldschmidt, the WSL CEO, put out a little press release about this. Uh, Her statement is, uh, we're very pleased with the opportunity to work with the big wave community in bringing the Mavericks event to life on an international stage. The league has always held a high amount of respect for the venue and its community as one of the pillars of big wave surfing. The WSL intends to continue to run the Mavericks event and celebrate the stories of those who steward and surf it through the big wave tour. This is a huge moment for both the organization and the sport of surfing. So reading between the lines, does this mean that they're going to bring Mavericks locals into the big wave world tour or does this more or less read like hey we're going to celebrate the stories of those who surf it in some way but the actual contestants are going to be big wave world tour WSL contestants they got to be WSL contestants I mean unless they're willing to change the format for how they do everything across the board they can't bring in local surfers I agree so it sounds to me like they're going to do their best to celebrate the yeah. stories of the guys who surf totally. it yeah. sort of as an ancillary part of the event. And, of course, the event is all the guys on the Big Wave World Tour, the Makuas, the Jamie Mitchells, the um, Grant Washburns, yeah. the, I don't know, is Greg Long on the Big Wave World Tour? Yeah. Oh, Kai Lenny, those guys. Yeah. Here's, I guess... now. Let me ask, I mean, the way that they do the Billabong Pipe Masters is different than they do any other event, right? Where they let in more trialists, uh, more local wild cards than they do for anything else, don't they? I know they do a trials event for 16 guys, yeah, but it seems like trials. more than two, more than one local wild card gets into the event, right? Well, the thing is, it's organic. Every year is a little bit different, it seems. Um, I know that they always save a spot for the win, for the leader of the Triple Crown. Like, if you're leading the Triple Crown, somehow or another, you find your way in. Right. Um, I feel like... So Billabong last, has a wild card. Yeah. Last year, there was Gavin Beshin. There was a young 16-year-old. There might have been some hurt. Usually, if there's hurt C-tiers, they right. fill that with, right, guy, right, right. with Hawaiians. I do feel like... I, I don't remember all the details, but I do feel like there's special accommodation made for the local contingent 
for the Billabong Pro? Not very Pro. much. You don't think so? I mean, no. I feel like that, it's been discussed on the well, show. Well, it has been, but I think what they do is they have the trials. They give money to the winner of the trials. The trials okay. is sort of like their way of saying, oh, and we'll let one of you guys in. Yeah. And we'll give you, instead of giving you a space in the Pipe Masters, we'll put money in your pockets instead. Right. Like everybody in the trials gets five grand and then the winner gets 30 grand. I don't, you know. Totally. They had to give one way or the other and they couldn't give space into the event. So they gave money to try to assage, massage the. Assuage? Assuage. Is and that a massage. Word? Assage, assuage. <laughs> <laughs> I'm speaking French. <laughs> um, well, at any rate, I was thinking if they're doing it in Hawaii for the Pipe Masters, they could implement a similar thing. But again, it's a slippery slope. As a fan, I ask you this question. Yeah. Do you want to see Kai Lenny or, I don't know, Nick Lamb? At Mavericks. At Mavericks. Honestly, that's a, that's a really interesting example. I would go Kai Lenny in that example. I mean, I understand Nick Lamb, obviously, but I think Nick Lamb's on the tour, by the way. Oh, okay. Well, but, I'm just throwing but out. a I'm local just, guy is I'm what you're to, saying yeah, versus Kai Lenny. Yeah, or, to be honest, I want to see Kai Lenny get tested. Now that I know Kai Lenny and I like Kai Lenny, I want to see him get tested in all the waves around the world. What about um, Jaws winner? Um, Billy Kemper. Billy Kemper versus, say, I don't know, another... Zach Warmhound? Yeah. Okay. Or Billy. Billy. Yeah. I want to see Billy. As a fan. Yeah. Because now I'm invested in Billy. I, I am too. Like we're as oh, fans, Billy. we get it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, totally. I can pick Billy Kemper out of a lineup. I can pick Kai out of a lineup. Yeah. And look, I'm not saying that that doesn't make me a sophisticated Mavericks fan. It doesn't. I'm, yeah. I'm not. That's my point is that I don't know what Nick Lamb looks like, frankly. I know he surfs great. I know he deserves to be in the event. And I'm just using him as an example is that those titans of Mavericks, that list of guys. Yeah. They sort of were almost too insulated. They insulated themselves or they didn't do a good enough job of me buying in. And when I say me, I mean us as a fan base. And maybe I'm speaking out of turn. Maybe other people are like, oh, yeah, I can pick Nick Lamb out of a lineup. Now, Kai Lenny's done a great job of exposing himself to me. I know who he is. Him and yeah. his companies that he represents are pushing him forward. And maybe that's part of the problem is that there aren't enough companies around that are willing to invest in marketing dollars on these Mavericks guys. And I guess here's another thought is there's a lot of guys that charge Mavericks every year, but not one of them has taken the crown as being like the guy where in the case of um, like Jamie O'Brien has with pipeline. So when it comes to when the CT rolls around at pipeline, you and I, as the viewer are curious, well, we know the CT guys can surf there and that's interesting, but could they beat Jamie O'Brien? Right. Cause Jamie O has the place wired. Right. So if there was a similar guy at Mavericks doing that, that's who we would want to see compete against Billy Kemper, who's the best big wave surfer that we can think of. Who's you that know? Who well, that's think? the thing. There's a handful of guys that kill it, but none of them has staked their claim as the king of What Mavericks. about Peter Mel? He might be one I of mean, them. I if, mean, if I was to say, oh, there's a guy I want to see, it's Peter Mel. Yeah. And an interesting turn of concepts, I've mentioned many times that the Pipe Masters winners should be invited into the Pipe Masters. They should have a spot in the Pipe Masters. And maybe that's the case for the Mavericks event. If you've won Mavericks, you should be surfing in the event until right. you opt out. Until you're right. like, nope, I'm too old. Right. Which would put Jamie O'Brien in it, which would put Rob Machado in it. And yeah. 
would put Peter Mel and who won Mavericks last? Pete Mel, maybe, as far as I can remember. Okay, that says a lot. Maybe. You don't even know. Kind of. If anyone would Somewhat. know. Somewhat. <laughs> you would know. I mean, you know, like, who's leading the women's QS. <laughs> I mean, Maude Lacar? No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. I just is guess. Is there such a person? There is Nick, such a person. Nick Come Lamb on. won the Mavericks event in 2016. Did he? Yeah. Oh, okay. By the way, Silvana Lima is leading the women's. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. Caroline Marks is in number th- in number three spot, which I would love to see. Is her she a regular qualify. foot or a goofy foot? Goofy foot. You really? Are you kidding? Shredder. Oh. Shredder. East Coast goofy foot. Easy. Florida. Uh, Saturday, October 21st here at Shack is the Surf to Skate opening celebration here in San Clemente, 6 to 9 p.m. Saturday, October 21st. That's this Saturday. Surf to Skate in the exhibit covers the origins of skateboarding to the sidewalk surfing and the early surf shop skate teams of the 60s through the 70s, Dogtown, all of the cool stuff, uh, Craig Stesick, Brent Lieberman, Nathan Pratt, Dale Smith, Art Brewer, photography from Art and Jeff Devine. And um, I imagine, who was the, who was the first, uh, Warren Bolster is who I'm thinking, the first editor of Skateboarder Magazine. All of these guys, Surf to Skate, October 21st, 6 to 9 p.m. here at Shack. Come awesome. check it out. Awesome. Yeah, all those skateboards. Had to get cleared off of our desk, off of our workspace. Yes. Um, awesome. Well, dude, uh, the show is winding down, and you and I have obligations that we need to get to in our real world. Uh, I had be, somebody you know paddle what? up to me the other day and go, hey, what's up with Spit? All I ever hear is David and Chaz. Yeah, and exactly. Like, wow. David well, and Chaz. Well, you guys are a good team. Thank you. Here, I I've listened to one show, but well, no, the guy mentioned, he goes... Those guys get drunk on the show, which can't be good pod. It makes I mean, maybe, better pod. Are maybe, you kidding? Maybe one. Those pod. are the best shows. Are they? Well, here's so to delineate or to explain for listeners, you and I talk surf news. Chaz and I talk surf culture. Well, no, gossip. I, well, I would backtrack from that. Me personally, if you were to ask me, I would say, look, David and I talk. I'm going to talk surf culture. I talk surf culture today. I'm not limited to what I talk. In fact, I probably talk too much pro surfing. Yeah. So I disagree with that. Now, I know that you're like, okay, we're surf news and that's fine. You can pigeonhole it however you'd like. But I want the listeners to know that you can come to this show and get anything you want. Uh, I'm not going to limit what I say. Of course not. By the way, when I was saying uh, we have other obligations to get to, that's because we don't make a living doing this podcast. No. But if listeners would like to support to ensure... There are, uh, yeah, spitpodcast.com. We have a donation link set up for, uh, and this show exists solely on. When are are Chaz, Scott, and David going to get in the same room? And that sounds like a grit right there. Let's do it, dude. That could be a good grit that goes down. It doesn't matter where it ends up. Maybe three is too many. We need a there'd we need another lot. microphone. <laughs> kind of invest in a new microphone. Stepping on David now, there'd be so much stepping going on. Um, but I did have a number of people. Reach out, obviously, email, question, all that sort of stuff. Where is Spit? It's been a month, so I know. we're back. Apologize. I, it's really on me because of Thank my, you. my travels. I was waiting for you to accept the blame. I don't know if blame is the right word. Blame but, uh, is what I was expecting. Well, there will be no blame. <laughs> there will be no blame. What there will be is more Spit. Um, Scott at surfboardshow.com. Send me an email. I've been getting emails, and I just felt like reading emails on this show was going to be 
too much because we had so much ketchup to do. Yeah. Well, um, but I'm going to Austin. I'm going to come back with a story about Austin. Perfect. Enland Surf Park. Perfect. Can't wait. Um, do you have any Duke and Kook or any of that stuff? Yeah. You know, my Duke Kahanamoku is my dog, Duke. What? Yeah. We put Duke down. No. Two days ago. We no. We put Duke down. Yeah. Oh. So this was a dog like all dogs that was loving and kind and loyal and a dear friend of ours and uh rest in peace dude had a great life and he was a great dog dude i am so sorry to hear that yeah it was a tough couple days was did he get real sick or was he just he was not being able to get up he was um he was not being he was sort of demented he couldn't see he was he was real uh he was in pain you know his his larynx was getting real swollen He, he was letting out these really sad whelps all the time and Man, he made um, he made a prominent feature in this show one time when we recorded in your living room, uh, or in your kitchen. And listeners actually chimed in, and they're like, something about like, yeah, when you and David get Scott, when you and David get together, just make sure you clear space for Duke in the room because I think he had made noise on the mic or something, yes. and people were joking about it. Yes. So I'm sorry to hear that, man. What a bummer. Yeah. Man, your life has been busy. I know. Right. Uh, well, my Duke is the Positive Vibe Warriors. Did okay. you see this story? No. They collected 680 surfboards. Oh, yes, I did see That this. they donated to the Surfers Not Street Children and Waves for Change campaigns. So the Positive Vibe Warriors are the Godowskis brothers. And um, they just started this super small organic thing, and it grew into this giant thing where they asked for people to contribute used surfboards is what they asked for that they would then donate to this surfers not street children organization in south africa that was chronicled in kelly slater's continuance part two uh, i'll post the video of that of course on spitpodcast.com and um, this is an organization where in durban south africa where um, they basically give street children that are displaced from homes and they oftentimes turns turn to drug and vi- drugs and violence they give them an opportunity to surf. Local surfers organize it and give surf lessons, and they needed surfboards and wetsuits to accommodate this program. So the Godowskis brothers took it upon themselves to organize this board collection and cover the shipping costs to put them all in a container and send them to South Africa. And so they just started asking for donations, and they ended up with 680 surfboards, hundreds of wetsuits and fins. Uh, in the article on stab magazine quote flea of you know uh santa cruz fame donated a quiver of barney's old boards wow shaper donnie brink who's a personal friend of yours and mine built five custom surfboards and donated another 20 to boot and a couple of Kaloe andino's old surfboards were in the pile former longboard champ colin mcphillips handed over old pro models the list goes on and on and on so the dukes are the positive vibe warriors aka the godowskis brothers wow well that's great hats off to them and all the other people that gave boards that's super good i don't have a kook because i just if something's like is obvious i'll have a kook but i don't want to just force a kook i don't i'm not here to create negative vibes off of the positive vibe warriors right so there's nothing uh i don't have any major you know other than the obvious you know irs (laughs) (laughs) 
wow, something else going on you want to talk about? <laughs> well, you know, San Onofre, nuclear meltdowns, all, oh, the, all that, that stuff. Yeah. Uh, well, I, on the other hand, do have a kook. <laughs> um, we got this from... <laughs> I, I do want to play into the negativity that's out there in the world. Okay. Um, we had an email or a direct message come through to both of us from a listener. And uh, he said, I'm sure you guys have heard about this. And it was a link to a photographer at Steve Gaffney who was shooting an NSSA contest. And the, the caption on this reads, heavy surf during Saturday morning's NSSA contest was challenging enough, but the competitors had to be wondering what was going to take place to advance to the finals. Uh, I don't know how that fits in. Anyways, this surfer was chased down and attacked during a wave. He fought off the assailant and went on to win his repercharge heat. And it's a sequence of photos with the NSSA surfer in a jersey doing a snap on a left and kind of behind him, more in priority position, there's a random adult. When I say random, meaning he's not in the event, just some surfer, an adult catching up to him on the wave and then he actually dives off and tries to knock off the NSSA surfer off the wave. The NSSA surfer just kind of shrugs him off and the guy basically wipes out uh, as he's diving. But I guess a number of these local surfers, I didn't get the full story, but from what I could read through the comments and all that, we asked the guy who sent it to us and he didn't have that much information. But from what I could read into it, the local surfers were like, hey, this is the first good day of swell in a month. We are not going to give up our local spot to this NSSA contest. So they decided to start burning contestants or not kicking out of waves when they had priority positioning. And they just took over the NSSA contest, which that's one thing. But in this sequence of photos, it's another thing to dive off your surfboard and try to tackle the underage surfer. This is a full-grown male trying to tackle a teenage surfer on a wave. Yeah, this is a tough situation. Um, I agree. Any sort of physical violence is stupid and not going to get you anywhere. Um, it was the first real swell in three months, not one month, three months. And it's my understanding that the NSSA, the locals asked the NSSA to provide their permit, and they didn't have their permit with them. Oh, really? Yeah. The cops got involved. Um, I will say this. It, there was a, I understand there was a crew of guys out there that thinks they're locals at Ponto. First of all, there are locals at Ponto, but those are the guys that have been surfing there before the jetties. Like, I'm talking about the 70s, 80s, and we know who they are. Yeah. If you're a local at Ponto or think you're a local at Ponto because you live in those new houses that were built there and you're like post-jetties local, you're just, you know... I. I just think it's it's hilarious, really, for anyone, even myself, to call my, to call yourself a local Apano. It's it's I, I don't know. Yeah, I have a problem with that. Yeah, totally. I don't know why, but I don't. You know, I know who the real locals are, and they're not me, and they're not you, and they're not the guy who they're was not attacking the dude. And no, the those are like forty year old dudes that just bought a new million dollar house right over there, and they've lived there for eight years, and they're like, and they surf. They're regulars. They're not sure. They're regulars, but but. You could also put some blame on the NSSA. Why not just move the contest site down to the walled-off lefts in the middle of the beach break and run your contest, you know? Mm. Well, I think, for me, I understand both sides of the equation, as you do. And I understand even not giving way. Like, go out there, and if you're in position for the peak, go. 
And if the kid's in the way, try to outrip the kid or something like that. But to dive off and try oh, to tackle lame. the kid yeah, is that's insane. Totally lame. It's insane. That's that's so, ridiculous. And it'd be one thing if he's your peer, but the guy it's, it's a like 16, a forty year old and a sixteen. It's a forty year old guy Superman diving to knock off the sixteen year old kid, and the sixteen year old kid just shrugs him off yeah, on who, the way, which is radical. Mature, who's more mature? Yeah, a sixteen year old. Totally, right? totally. So I'll post that sequence of photos, um, of course, on spitpodcast.com. By the way, first contest I ever won, Ponto. Really? Yeah, in 1981, the YMCA Surf Series, North County YMCA Surf Series. And uh, I was on a Jack Jensen tri-fin. The waves are good. Amazing. You know... <laughs> this was way pre-Jetty. This was back when Ponto was Ponto. I... Uh, at that exact moment, also won something very significant. A diaper no, rash of some I, sort? <laughs> I fought off a uh, hundred million other sperm to, <laughs> to uh, wait, make my way into an egg and win you know, the birthright yeah, to become you, a human being. Did you get a trophy? <laughs> I got the, tro- the trophy that is life, and I was born in October 1981. Oh, congratulations. So, yeah, who's the big winner now, Scott? I guess you are. <laughs> really put things into perspective there. You did. Wow, shut me down. I guess I'm the kook. I was one of a million, a uh, hundred million sperm. Wow. So, yeah. No, to fertilize an egg. We're stuck with you. You were that at one point, too. Yeah. All right, man. Well, okay. on that note, how do people get a hold of you, Scott? Scott at surfboardshow.com. Um, we're also producing an auction with the boardroom show coming up in Del Mar in May. So we've got the vintage surfboard auction, California Gold. So if you have any old boards that you might uh, want to put in the auction, you know, they, they better be nice. But please send me an email, scott at surfboardshow.com. And, um, yeah, reply to our show. We'd like to hear from you. And spitpodcast.com is the website. Of course, we got the donation thing set up on there and then um, also a comment section. It's the same comment uh, platform that... Stab Magazine uses, Beach Grid, all the main websites. Um, so if you have an account set up with that, you can just leave comments for us, and we will continue this conversation. It's not just between Scott and I. It's between everybody. So uh, spitpodcast.com. Okay, until next time, adios and aloha. You don't know how you don't know
Somewhere I gotta go 